0: In the time of social distancing, the experiences that are immersed in community become difficult to sustain. This time of crisis calls us to expand our understanding of worship. It would be easy to say that it isn't worship because we don't feel the presence of our church family. I'm beginning to think that this perspective is more about us and our own expectations than what the grace of God is able to do in us. The fact that we don't feel the experience in the same way doesn't mean that in this time God can't still connect us through the experience of live streaming worship. Are we willing to open our hearts to experience worship in a new way? Are we willing to see how God can come to us, heal us, and restore us even when we feel alone? In some respects these questions are at the heart of the story of Jesus's encounter with the Samaritan woman at the
1: well. The Samaritan woman at the well is found in John 4 verses 5 through 42. So he came to a Samaritan city called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired by his journey, was sitting by the well. It was about noon. A Samaritan woman came to draw water. Give me a drink.
2: How is it that you, a Jew, ask a drink of me, a woman of Samaria? Jews do not share things in common with Samaritans.
3: If you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water.
2: Sir, you have no bucket, and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our ancestor Jacob, who gave us the well, and with his sons and his flocks drank from it?
3: Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But those who drink of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty. The water that I will give will become in them a spring of water gushing up to eternal life.
2: Sir, give me this water so that I may never be thirsty or have to keep coming here to draw water.
3: Go call your husband and come back.
2: I have no husband.
3: You are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands, and the one you have now is not your husband. What you have said is true.
2: Sir, I, I see that you're a prophet. Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain but you say that the place where people must worship is in Jerusalem.
3: Woman, believe me, the hour is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such as these to worship him. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth.
2: I know that Messiah is coming. When he comes, he will proclaim all things to us.
3: I am he, the one who is speaking to you.
1: Just then his disciples came. They were astonished that he was speaking with a woman. But no one said, What do you want? Why are you speaking with her? Then the woman left her water jar and went back to the city. Come
2: and see a man who told me everything I have ever done. He cannot be the Messiah, can he?
1: They left the city and were on the way to see him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat something.
3: I have food to eat that you do not know about.
1: So the disciples said to one another, Surely no one has brought him something to eat?
3: My food is to do the will of him who sent me, and to complete his work. Do you not say, Four months more, then comes the harvest? But I tell you, look around you, and see how the fields are ripe for harvesting. The reaper is already receiving wages, and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that the sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true, One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored, and you have entered into their labor.
1: Many Samaritans from that city believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me everything I have ever done. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them, and he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of this word. They said to the woman, It is no longer because of what you said that we believe, for we have heard for ourselves, and we know that this is truly the Savior of the world. Let the church hear what the Spirit is saying.
2: Thanks Thanks be be to to God. God.
3: Well, friends, I often talk to myself, but this is a brand new experience of talking to myself. I would invite you to pray with me as you see it printed in your order, our traditional prayer before uh, the sermon. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. If you've got one at home, feel free. Honestly, I really am thirsty this morning. I haven't had enough to drink. But I've been thinking about this this idea. Many of you know that that I do uh, endurance racing, uh, triathlons and marathons. And uh, after a long race, after um, a triathlon, they usually will hand out bottles of water. And, you know, in that moment, after exerting yourself in that way, that water, it's, it's, water, but it might as well be pick your favorite beverage. It it is amazing, rejuvenating, life-giving. In those moments, and, and maybe you've had experiences like this. You've been working in the yard on a on a hot day and it just seems like you can't get enough that thirst and that craving to be hydrated. Like there's not enough water in the world in that moment. That idea of of craving after things, in that moment when we thirst or when we hunger, when that hunger is satisfied, it 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 does something, doesn't it? I feel you know, getting a, a long drink of water, even even. I think I'm going to have a little bit more here, because I am really thirsty. It, it it's almost like I can feel everything. Everything in me change, you know. It, 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 and I know it doesn't like go to you know every corner of your body, but it feels like it, doesn't it? This idea of of the change that can happen in us when that when that craving, that thirst, that hunger is satisfied, isn't just physical or physiological, and it isn't just emotional. It, there is a spiritual component to this as well. And this spiritual component, sometimes we call it a mountaintop experience, that space or that that moment when the space between us and God thins, gets thinner, and who knows, maybe even feels like it disappears. That moment that, that—and and I've experienced that in times in my life, where it, it, it feels like it, it's just a warm rush. And I feel, even though I know it's a spiritual moment, I feel physically the change in that moment when our our hunger is satisfied or our thirst is satisfied or our feelings of isolation or loneliness or separation from God, sometimes our anger or our frustration, whatever it may be, in that moment, when we feel the presence of God with us, there is a there's a change that happens within us. It's as if the world will never look quite the same again. Now, it may not be a great big earth-shaking thing. It may be just a small thing, but even small experiences of this sort can change the world. Because they change us. They change the way we see ourselves. They change the way we see our church, our community, they change the way we see the world. And a lot of times these experiences come out of uh, stories that that make no sense at all. Stories that break norms. Stories that challenge. And the story of the Samaritan woman at the well is precisely one of those stories. You see, this story breaks just about everything spiritually. For Jesus, for this woman, for her community, it shakes the ground so much that her world and her community's world couldn't possibly be the same again. See, Jesus Jesus comes in, and, and, and as he's often to do, um, and we see it in long form in John's telling of the gospel, Jesus comes in and immediately starts shaking everything. First of all, a Jew in Samaria that didn't i mean the jews were known to travel through samaria on their way someplace else but to stop at a place like jacob's well you know in some respects jesus is just asking for trouble and trouble finds him now this woman this woman herself is is uh, broken is in need and and you don't see that other than the subtle clue in the story is that she came to this well to gather water at noon. In the heat of the day, under the hot sun. Why would she come at noon when all of the other women that came to get water would come in the cool of the morning? Well, as you go into the story and you realize that this woman's relationship history is marred by brokenness, in that period, in that community, she would be marginalized, if not outright ostracized, and even by members of her family. That was the kind of sin that people wanted to keep at arm's length. That's a brokenness. You know, if you're familiar with classic literature, the whole idea of a scarlet A, the scarlet letter. This is a first century equivalent of that story. So she comes to the wa- the well to get water at the only time basically that she can. And then here's this rabble-rouser itinerant Jewish teacher, Jesus, who comes in and confronts her. Does something again breaking spiritual and social norms by asking her for a drink. And she says, well, you don't have a cup, you don't have a bucket, you don't have a hydro flask to get your water. How's it going to happen? The only option is for her to use her own cup, which then means that Jesus would become, by drinking from the cup of a Samaritan woman with this reputation, would be, according to the spiritual laws of the time, ritually unclean would have to pay money to make a sacrifice in order to go to the temple. Of course, we see that Jesus just doesn't care. He just doesn't care. And through the point of this encounter, with every question that Jesus asked the Samaritan woman, she's beginning to change. Her world begins to wobble and then begins to shake. And then breaks open. When she leaves her bucket and runs back to the village and says to this group of people that have already marginalized her, he couldn't be the Messiah, could he? And here's the thing that we don't quite know the dynamics of there is something about this woman. This broken and marginalized woman that makes a witness that's compelling because her community and her family that had already marginalized her, they respond. They respond in faith. And they go out to the well themselves to meet Jesus. And they invite him in. And he stays with them for some period of days, which I'm sure makes his disciples a little bit crazy. You know, it's bad enough to travel through Samaria, but to consciously and intentionally stay with those people for two more days. And then they say, at first we believed because of what this woman said. Now we see, we taste, we drink for ourselves. They've taken this in. They've taken that long sip. I'm going to grab another one. They've taken that long drink of water for themselves, and it has changed them. It would have been very easy. It would have been very easy for the woman to avoid Jesus, It would have been very easy for Jesus to avoid the woman. It would have been very easy for the community to avoid this woman, to kind of poo-poo her story, to ignore her. And yet, instead of avoiding what would have been challenging, difficult, barrier-breaking, norm-breaking, they embraced it. And the world would never be the same for them never, ever be the same. There's something in this story, I think, that's important for us today. Risking, taking chances, being willing to make sacrifices is not something we've exercised lately. Maybe on an individual level, we do risks, we take chances, but collectively, as I've watched through the course of this week, as I'm sure many of you have watched the coverage, listened to the public health officials, you're probably coming to a realization something like this, is that we as a community, and I'm not just talking about the United States, but I'm talking about globally. We haven't been asked to make sacrifices communally for a very long time. Try 75 years. Most of us have never, I know me, our leaders, have never asked us to sacrifice for the community for a greater good the way we're being asked to sacrifice now. If you were alive during the time of World War II and rationing, you know this. If your parents or your grandparents were alive during the depression, you've heard stories, but now we are being asked to risk. We're being asked to take chances and we're being asked to sacrifice But from a spiritual standpoint, how we contextualize this, how we approach it, how we receive this challenge is vital, not only for us or for our church, but it's also vital for the community. We're being asked to do these kinds of things, this new word that has come into our lexicon, social distancing, because we recognize the risk of this particular virus and how it can be transmitted widely within the population, widely within a community, even by asymptomatic people. In previous generations, they talked about typhoid Mary, that asymptomatic person that could spread typhoid fever widely within the community. We're seeing that now. And the reality is that this is a very hardy virus. And it can live outside the bodies. It can live on hard surfaces, according to some of the medical information, for as much as a week. So this isn't panic. This isn't hysteria. This isn't a hoax. This is what we can do as a love response for our community. To make sure that people stay safe. It's not about, I'm going to keep myself safe. I'm going to go bunker down in my house so that I can be safe. We're doing this so that we, this is an opportunity for us to make the kind of choices, to do the kind of risking, to make the kind of sacrifices that provide spiritual strength for the community, where we begin to change from this I, me, mine, to we and ours, where we see the strength and the health of the community. This is our call. This is how we can love one another. When Jesus says the the greatest commandment is to love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength, and like that one is to love our neighbors as ourselves, In this moment in time, if by sacrificing things in our life, if by sacrificing trips, if by sacrificing weddings for the time being, if by making these choices now, this becomes a way that we can love our neighbor as ourself, then by the grace of God, we can do no other. This does feel a little bit weird this morning. I get that. And I suspect for you watching virtually, this feels especially weird. I miss you. If you've been in the church long enough, you know that I, I hang ten toes over the extrovert side. I am energized by being together with people. I miss you. I miss you not being here. I miss seeing your smiling faces. I miss hearing about how your week was. I miss this. And yet I know that because of how much I miss you, because of how much I love you, and because of how much I love this community, This is a sacrifice I'm willing to make that we can make together to move through this time as quickly as we can. Sermon title, come and see, come and drink. We realize that in these moments where our need is the greatest, where our craving feels the deepest, that the grace of God always comes in to satisfy us. We're at the early stages of this. We will miss one another. We will crave the social interaction. We will be thirsty for that sense of connection. But friends, let this text today, let this this sermon, let this worship remind you that even in the midst of our greatest craving and our greatest need, the Spirit of God continues to feed us. The, The Spirit of God continues to wash over us. And when we embrace it, rather than avoid the spirit, then like the Samaritan woman, like her community, our world will never again be the same. Thanks be to God.